Gracious God, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Elizabeth Hayes. I'm the director of Parish Life here. Glad to be with you this morning. If you've been with us, then you know that since January, we have been looking at the story of Jesus through the Gospel of John. And in each encounter, we've seen Jesus invite us to come and see, to experience him in a new way. Sad child downstairs. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And our encounter with Jesus today tells us of the dramatic healing of a man who was born blind. Jesus actually invites this man to literally come and see. But as we look at John 9, we'll discover that the man's physical healing isn't the only notable thing that happens. And it might not even be the most notable thing, as incredible as it was because Jesus gradually reveals to this man the deep truths of the world, and in doing so, he heals his spiritual blindness as well as his physical blindness. So today we will encounter Jesus as the light of the world, first as the light that heals, and then as the light that reveals. So I'm gonna be reading from John chapter nine. I'm gonna be skipping around a little bit. The verses are on the screen, but if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, that would be good. As Jesus was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. Then the Pharisees asked him again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them. I washed and I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was division among them. Again they asked the blind man, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. When Jesus had heard that they threw the man out, and when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last fall, 
our church went on a retreat to Shrinemont. I know a lot of you were there. And one morning when we were on the retreat, I was in the dining hall at breakfast. It was bustling with people. And a little boy, about four years old, came up from behind me and hugged the back of my legs. And so I turned around and bent down to see who it was who'd given me a hug. And I looked at him and I realized I didn't know this little boy. And he looked at me and he realized he didn't know me either. (laughs) And he burst into tears (laughs) because I was not who he was trying to hug. Kids, raise your hand if that has ever happened to you. I see a lot of adult hands too. I remember so clearly being a kid, especially in a crowded place, and really only being able to experience the world from the waist down. And that sense that, you know, there's this world swirling up above you, this world of adults, and you know there's a lot going on up there, but you can only experience it in a limited way. You can only get glimpses of it. In a way, this is how I imagine the blind man's experience of the world. The gospel writer, he doesn't name the blind man, but we're going to be talking about him a lot today, so I'm going to give him a name. We're going to call him Tom. From birth, Tom has lived in a world that wasn't made for him. Because of his disability, Tom would spend his life as a beggar, likely sitting on the ground on the side of the road. And just like that boy who mistook me for his mom, probably, Tom only had hints of the world moving around up above him. He might have heard snippets of conversations as people walked by him, or he might have felt the brush of robes whooshing past, or maybe he felt um, dust or mud being splashed up on him, or smelled livestock walking by at his level. But Tom couldn't see the world. And let's face it, it looks like the world didn't see Tom either. When the disciples pass Tom, they look at him, but they don't see him. It's almost like they're looking at an animal in a zoo, discussing the animal's movements from behind a two-way mirror. They observe Tom like a specimen for a theological inquiry. You can almost feel their eagerness to philosophize on this fascinating subject with their rabbi. And so they ask Jesus, What do you think, Rabbi? Whose fault is it that this man is suffering in this way? Do you think it's his own sin or the sin of his parents? You see, the disciples held a belief that was it was really common in the ancient Near East, both amongst the Israelites as well as um, other groups and religions, that if someone is suffering, like Tom, who's born blind, someone must have messed up along the way. You know, their question, that, that thought, it might seem jarring to you, but before you cast the idea aside as primitive and totally outdated, I want you to consider the possibility that we actually ask this question all the time. Whether we speak it aloud or not, whether we use these words or different ones, we are desperate to explain the suffering of the world so that we can control it, and avoid it. Just like the disciples, we see someone else's pain and we want to draw a thick black line around it in order to keep it away from us. I'll give you an example. Let's say that you hear that someone's child has gone off the rails. They've gotten in trouble maybe or made a big mistake 
or maybe they've dropped out of school or have walked away from the church. I want you to imagine what your response to that is. Um, At the same time as maybe you feel sadness or compassion for the child or for the child's parents, I wonder if you also feel something else welling up from your gut. Explanations. I wonder what the parents did wrong. Did they let their child go to the wrong school or hang out with the wrong friends? Maybe they used the wrong kind of discipline. They must have missed something. There's got to be some explanation for this, right? Because if it happened to their child, then it could happen to my child. Unless there's some explanation. There's got to be some explanation, right? Does that sound familiar to you? Have you felt those kinds of thoughts welling up inside of you in the face of someone else's suffering? Or maybe like Tom, you've been on the receiving end of other people's explanation of your own tragedy, their attempts to distance themselves from it. Unexpected suffering, like Tom being born blind, or a child who's in pain, or an unexpected diagnosis, all of this threatens to dismantle our ironclad belief that we are in control of our health and our wealth and our happiness. That if we do the right things and we live a respectable life and manage our money wisely, everything will be okay. That we're not fragile. That we're not, in fact, dying. This is what makes Ash Wednesday a little awkward. Um, If you were here with us a few weeks ago, then someone got really close to your face and said to you, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Once you were nothing, soon you'll be nothing again, and the time in between, you're not in control of it. What do you say to that? (laughs) I noticed when I was imposing ashes a couple of weeks ago that people don't know what to say to that. Sometimes people would give me an uncomfortable smile back. Um, A number of people said thank you to me (laughs) because we don't know what to say. It's awkward. Because like unspeakable suffering, Ash Wednesday, it pulls back the veil and shows us our fragility, much less with someone uncomfortably close to your face. It shows us that fragility that we're so desperate to hide and to control. But I wonder if you have been confronted with the darkness of your own fragility. Maybe you've experienced the sudden feeling of all the lights being turned off in your life. One writer calls depression darkness visible. I wonder if you know that darkness. Or maybe it's the darkness of loneliness or longing, the feeling that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't seem to create the life you expected for yourself. Or maybe like Tom, it is the darkness of a disability or chronic pain or a terminal illness. The pain or the disease has trapped you in a life that you never expected for yourself and that you're helpless to do anything about. If you've ever suffered in a way that seems inexplicable, then it's likely that you know the loneliness and the shame that can come from that constant wondering. 
How did this happen? What did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this? We all ask those kinds of questions, and so I wanna look and see how Jesus responds. In our story, Jesus doesn't condemn the disciples for asking the question that they ask, but he doesn't answer it either. He doesn't play along with their game. He doesn't give them the kind of certainty that they crave. Instead, Jesus replies, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. I wonder if part of what Jesus is saying when he responds this way is that suffering, even inexplicable suffering, it's a normal part of the human existence, of the Christian life. It's not good, but suffering and frailty and death They're inescapable on this side of heaven. So one thing that Jesus is doing is he's poking holes in their idea that we ought to to be able to keep suffering at bay. And more importantly, he's also saying that even when we do experience suffering that is inexplicable, that we can't control, that we can't explain, even that suffering is not outside the realm of God's redemption. So turning back to the story, Jesus stops debating with the disciples and he turns all of his attention towards Tom, this man who the world has seen but never really seen, who the world has forgotten, rejected, treated like a zoo animal. And Jesus reaches out and he touches his face, almost like a parent wiping a crumb lovingly off of their child's face. There's something really tender about that gesture. And in a strange and wonderful act, he spits on the ground and he makes the dirt into mud and then he smears it on Tom's eyes. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. In no uncertain terms, he claims to be none less than the incarnate I am, the very source of light, the creator of the sun and the stars, the one from whom all life comes, I am. And the incarnate I am makes mud from the dirt, just like he fashioned humankind out of the dust in order to recreate life, to create full and abundant life for Tom. But this light, the light of life, this light in the darkness, it can't be possessed or controlled or claimed as our own or even explained. It can only and always be received as a gift. Remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. And so Tom went to the pool and he washed and he came home seeing. So you see, don't you, why Jesus reframed the disciples' question. They had asked a question about the past, whose fault is this? But Jesus answers a question about the future. Where is our hope? Any explanation of Tom's suffering, it pales in comparison to what Jesus has offered him. He claims to be the incarnate I am, the very source of light and life. And then he demonstrates it 
by bringing light and new life to Tom. In the face of such wonder, questions about who's at fault, they lose their bite a little bit. It's not to say that Tom might never wonder why he was blind in the first place, but Tom has met the light of the world. And there is one thing that he knows. Once he was blind, but now he sees. The disciples, they wanted to identify the villain so that they could close the book on Tom's tragic life. But when Jesus looks at Tom, he doesn't see the end of a story. He sees a story half told. Because Tom encountered the light of the world, the best was yet to come for him. And not only had Tom's story been rewritten, but Tom had been swept up to become an unsuspecting part and a curious kind of witness to the story of redemption that God was writing in that very moment. A new light has dawned. It's shedding its light abroad in this dark world. And in the face of inexplicable, uncontrollable human suffering, in the face even of death, Jesus doesn't give us control, but he does give us himself. I used to live in Nicaragua, some of you guys know, and like in many parts of the world, driving in Nicaragua um, can be a little bit fraught. I got pretty used to the aggressive driving during the day, but I never got used to driving at night. And the reason is because you could pretty much guarantee that at least 50 for 50% of the trucks on the road did not have headlights. But that did not stop them from passing on a two-lane highway in the pitch black dark. So can you imagine how scary it is to crest a hill and realize that there is a truck with no lights barreling towards you in your lane? It's terrifying. And on the rare occasion that I did have to drive down the mountain, um, for an early morning meeting or something like that, I would leave in the pitch black of the early morning hours, and you can imagine how anxiously I was waiting for the light to dawn. The minute I saw that first sign of light, I'd breathe a little bit easier. Sometimes the world feels just that scary, like trucks barreling towards us in the night. And we can't stop the trucks But in Jesus, we do not walk in darkness. The light has dawned. You see, there is no darkness so deep that the incarnate God can't penetrate. There's no depth so far that Jesus can't come for you. In your suffering, Jesus doesn't give you control, but he gives you himself. And even in death, which is that final monument to human frailty, even death can't defeat him. Jesus is the light in the darkness who brings light and life to our very world, even here and even now. So Jesus is the light that heals, but the story doesn't end when Tom is physically healed. Jesus is also the light that reveals. So Tom washes, and he comes home seeing, and when the people who've known Tom his whole life see him walking around with two functioning eyes— they are understandably very confused and astounded. And so they ask Tom, how can it be that you are so transformed? And the truth is, he doesn't really know. All he knows is that the man who, called, who they called Jesus put mud on his eyes, 
They to he told him to wash, and then he could see. And Tom just tells it like he knows it, without any embarrassment or excuses. In the face of this mystery, Tom, who has lived his whole life with uncertainty, with a clear knowledge that he is in need, in desperate need, Tom embraces what he has seen, even in the limited way he understands it. This is such a beautiful picture of childlike faith, childlike in the best sense of that word. But the Pharisees are a different story because unlike Tom, they have built a life around certainty and knowledge and precision and power. And when they are confronted with this mystery, they're threatened by it. Just like the disciples at the beginning of the chapter, they're desperate to explain it, to control it. They say, there's no way that Jesus could be from God. He doesn't fit our categories. He's not tamed by our laws. And there's no way that this man could be anything but a sinner because this kind of thing doesn't happen to people like us. The Pharisees go against their own theological principles. They even go against common sense in order to gain a sense of control over the situation. Their blindness becomes more and more determined, more hardened. And in this final act of blindness, they throw Tom out of the synagogue because what they can't explain, they reject. I wonder how often we have missed receiving the goodness of God because we're determined to reject what we can't understand, what we can't explain. But at the climax of this story, Jesus comes back to find Tom. So the disciples, uh, the Pharisees have rejected him, kicked him out of the temple, but Jesus seeks him out, just like he sought him out when he was blind, now he seeks him out when he was rejected, cast out. And for the first time, Tom actually sees Jesus. I don't know if you noticed, but Jesus didn't stick around to wait for Tom to get back from the pool. So Tom had never actually seen with his eyes this man who healed him. And all at once, Tom sees Jesus clearly for who he is. You see, the event of Tom's healing, of gaining his sight, was just the beginning of his transformation. We see throughout the story how he gradually gains more and more understanding about what has been done for him and by whom. At first, in verse 11, Tom just says that he was the man who they called Jesus. All he knew was his name. And then later, Tom says, I guess he must have been a prophet. And then later, he becomes more certain, and he argues actually pretty ardently that this man must have come from God. And then, finally, when he sees Jesus face to face, Tom worships him. He calls him Master, Son of God, Lord. And it's this, this act, his worship is this act full of faith and of understanding. It's like a bud opening or the sun rising. Slowly but irreversibly, he understands more of the gift that he has received. And as he does, we watch his faith become more solid, more precise. 
Friends, I think that Jesus wants us to see that this is what it means to be a disciple. To be on this long journey of realizing the grace we have been given and by whom we've been given it. We're all blind and in the dark. We're all frail and vulnerable and desperate for help. But many of us are like the Pharisees, like the disciples. We're desperate to control our blindness, our frailty, with certainty, with knowledge, with superiority. But in Jesus' kingdom, those who say they can see are blind. It's those who know they're blind who can see. Jesus says, everyone is blind and in the dark, but I have come to shine into the darkness and bring light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But he also says, for judgment, I have come. Judgment is this unveiling. It's like pulling back the curtain to expose the deepest realities. Have you ever heard the saying that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay? The same act of grace that sets faith, sets Tom on this beautiful journey of faith sends the, the Pharisees into this deeper and deeper blindness. That's because just as Jesus came as the light that heals, he also came as the light that reveals. Jesus is the spring sun that brings life forth from the frozen ground. But Jesus is also the spotlight that exposes hearts, dividing the world between those who know they are blind and welcome the light, and those who deny their blindness and reject the light when it comes. So friends, I think that this story offers us a few invitations that I want to extend to you. The first invitation is for those who see themselves in the blind man in this story, those who see themselves in Tom. If you feel desperate, rejected, cast out at the end of your rope, unseen by the world, then there's an invitation for you to see and to believe. Jesus notices hurting people. He finds rejected people. There's no darkness that can overcome the light of the world. And he offers us more than a simple explanation of our pain He offers us hope and life and healing. He offers us himself. We can't control him or explain him, but we can receive him. So would you allow that light to shine on you, to liberate you, to heal you, to recreate you? He did it then, and he's still doing it now. The second invitation is for those who see yourself in the disciples or the Pharisees. If you feel anxious to keep uncertainty at bay, desperate to explain and control what you have a hard time understanding, if you find yourself dividing up the world into categories and putting yourself on the right side of that line, this story offers you an invitation to mystery, to trust, and to faith. Real sight is knowing that you're blind. And that's the beginning of discipleship, friends, to recognize your need to be healed and to be open to the flooding light of Jesus Christ invading your life. 
I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Gracious God, light of the world, would you flood our lives with your light? In the face of our frailty, God, in the face of what we don't understand, what we can't control, Jesus, would you give us the faith of this blind man? By your grace, would you make us those who can humbly and unapologetically say with him, this I know, I was blind, but now I see. Amen.